Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind the Gap, Enablix's only podcast seeking sales and marketing alignment. I'm your host, Nick Zeke Lopez, and this week I'm joined by Matt Stammers. Matt, how's it going? Yeah, it's going really well. Thank you for having me on uh, the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, so, Matt, I think you, I think you're our first West Coast guest. Actually, we've had Europe, we've had East Coast, Midwest. I think you're first West Coast. Uh, for the people that uh, are may not be familiar with uh, uh, who you are and 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 Zeno, can you give us a quick introduction? Yeah, sure. Although I think I think I get to bag two things because the way I describe myself is I'm a, I'm an expat Brit abroad. So. You know, I did a lot of okay. my marketing career out of Europe, primarily out of the UK first, and then much more broadly in Europe. Uh, and then my midlife crisis in 2017 <laughs> wasn't to go buy a motorbike. Um, I'd already done that. My midlife <laughs> crisis was to um, lift me and my family, two kids of uh, five and seven, over to the West Coast and California in the Bay Area uh, and try out this whole kind of VC, um, you know, technology startup thing and see where it took us. Well, that's that's exciting, and and I I don't well, I don't know. Does your does your family do you think they would have appreciated the motorbike more or the move to San Francisco? Well, I think I think it would be fair to say if you asked my wife this, I said, look, hey, you know, do you want to you know do you want to leave the UK, which is kind of pretty cold and grey and often miserable, particularly in the winter time, and you know come live in California? Her instant answer was yes. Um, but you know, when we got here, actually, what happened is she was thinking like Southern California. So, oh no, she, she was thinking like boardwalks and palm trees and the you know <laughs> bit of a warmer ocean. And we rocked up in San Francisco in April, and it was about fifty-three degrees to use the American kind of you know version of temperature. There was rain going sideways, and you know it was not a pleasant place. And um, she cried for three days. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah, um, I think we've all made that mistake at some point or another. Just assuming that uh, th- there's a homogenous California uh, climate um, uh, that is just always sunny. But no, the Bay Area very different. Uh, what is it that you do in the Bay Area? You said you said VC funded. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. So um, when I when I first came over, I was running marketing globally for a fintech called Talia. Um, what they're all about is they target the largest companies in the world, uh, and they are trying to help them optimize cash, which is a slightly techie thing. So you know, what do they actually do? They they help put more cash back on the balance sheet of those really big businesses, uh, and also critically, they also help put cash back on the balance sheet of all of their suppliers as well. So really kind of driving um, the kind of improvement of cash across supply chains and then, you know, helping companies use that to invest back in their business. So, you know, did that from 2017 to 2019 uh, and then did a little bit of consultancy and helping a lot of startups about 10 of them really kind of understand, you know, how should they be going to market? And if we if we think about what happened between sort of, you know, 2019, 2020, obviously COVID came along, you know, a lot of kind of humanitarian issues within that but from a technology company perspective the big shift was you could no longer go do things face to face and the digital world became incredibly noisy so a big piece of what i did was to say to startups look you know this is how we can help you find your voice in this really really noisy world uh, and better engage with the customers that you're trying to reach um, the last one of those um, engagements was a company called xeno technologies started working with them May, not May, yeah, May 2021. And um, I was helping them again, kind of really develop about who are you targeting? What's the story that you're trying to tell? How do we actually go out and engage with this audience effectively? 
get the company launched. Uh, and they like that stuff so much that they asked me to join in November uh, 2021 as their head of marketing. So, you know, I've been with them ever since. And that's the job that I'm doing today. I, I want to start there as, as your head of marketing. We, we've had Will Devlin on the podcast um, in the previously head of marketing for Message Gears. And we talked about there is, all right, so you're a one-person marketing team. How do you grow with sales? How, how, do you, how do you decide what to do? I'm interested from your perspective, though, uh, something we haven't covered yet is is as the the one as the marketing team, how do you decide what you do versus what you pay others to do, like agencies, consultants, uh, contractors, versus what doesn't get done? Uh, when you kind of run through the list of, all right, this is this is what I'm going to spend my time doing versus having like others force multiply versus hire versus versus pay. Uh, where, where's your head for a lot of those things? And that's a really big question. So with lots of different classes to it. So, you know, in a way, that one's actually much easier to ask than to answer. And yeah, as we were getting going on this podcast, one of, you know, one of the things that I was talking about is, you know, immediately before this, I was prepping for a webinar that we are holding tomorrow. So, you know, the answer is, is actually you do an awful lot of things, but um, you are right in that you, you actually have to think carefully about, you know, what do you do when you come into a very early stage startup? So, you know, Xeno has been running since January 2020. Um, for the first 18 months, so it's very much in stealth mode. It was all about building the product out. We launched in November, end of October 2021. Uh, and we are, you know, we're still less than 20 people today. So this is a really, really small business, very early stage. And there's only me internally doing marketing. And um, the answer I'd give is, is it's still... It still has to be about strategy and execution. And I think if you look at what, you know, the best people do is they're very clear about what does the strategy for both the business look like and what should the marketing strategy look like? And then how do we go execute on that? Uh, and, and then when you're in an early stage startup and you're running a marketing function, you can't do one without the other. You know, there's no point just being a great strategist and never doing any execution. You, you and I both know you'd get fired really <laughs> yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah, and then on the other hand, you know, there, there's no point just being great at execution because if you're just doing the wrong execution, you just end up doing dumb stuff. You know, you do stuff that doesn't necessarily drive the growth engine. So, you know, the answer is kind of both to think really carefully about what's the right strategy here and then also very quickly make sure that we go do it. We try stuff out. We see how well it's working. And then we go back around that kind of figure of eight loop again. I, you know, I find myself exactly what you said. I, I will. There have been so many times I find myself like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go update this web page. And then 90 minutes later, I'm trying to figure out why the video isn't fitting right into the web page. And I'm mired in execution. And I'm like, no, this is not worth it. This is not <laughs> what I need to be doing. Uh, I, yeah. I feel like it is a it is a balance that uh, uh, almost never feels right. But that's how you know yeah, if uh, you're doing either too much strategy or I'll be too into execution. I won't feel like I haven't I haven't planned anything. Uh, it's I'll, I'll say from my experience, it, it feels tenuous at all times, which I think that's just it. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think, you know, I was thinking about this before. People really when I talk to a lot of people and I've spent a long time in startups now, people always want to come and join a startup. You know, they're like, oh, wow, it's amazing. And, you know, it's really exciting. And you're growing the company really fast and everything's really dynamic. And, you know, if everything goes well, then you get options. And ideally, you know, you kind of get a really successful exit. And um, the reality is super different. The reality is you have to be incredibly comfortable living in the gray is, is the way I would describe it, where actually everything is really uncertain. 
your job changes every day, you're trying to do 20 million things often at the same time, uh, and you're trying to keep the whole business moving forward. And, you know, and for the people that I have watched come into these types of companies, the first six months kind of really dictates is, you know, either they love it and they take to it like a duck to water and they do incredibly well because they own their own role, they're happy with the uncertainty, they can kind of drive towards outcomes. You know, all, all you know, all people come in and they're kind of, you know, they're waiting to be told what to do. You know, and again, I'm sure you've seen the same again, is they can be thoroughly decent people, but the startups are no place to be wait, you know, to to wait to be told what to do. You you really kind of gotta get in and own your role. And you know, often those people kind of leave shortly after. Yeah. You know, what you said though is is right, is you have to be comfortable with being a little uncomfortable almost like I think the security of knowing exactly what you're going to do and exactly what the that's like, I don't want to say it's easy, but there, there's a comfort there. But but for so many environments like this, like you said, you have to be you have to be used to being in the gray and the uncertainty. That's challenging. And I, I think in many ways, that's kind of the hardest part of just not knowing for certain what the next month or three months or six months will be, but feeling confident that that what you're doing is the right way to to move ahead. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. Actually, I don't know. You know, one of the things we're going to talk about today is, you know, what is a, you know, in, in kind of almost in, in quotation marks, what does a good CEO look like? And uh, and I think you know when you talk about it with reference to startups, the important thing is to you know, is that vision has to be really clear. You know, what's our vision or purpose about? Why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? So, you know, although the day to day can change quite a lot and it, and it normally does and priorities move around and we learn things and we adjust. Actually, we should be really clear about where are we trying to get to and then how are the things that we're doing today and doing tomorrow and over the next six months, how are they helping us get towards that place, you know, so that we can actually see, you know, we can look back and see that tangible difference over time. Mm-hmm. Well, and let's let's move to that because something. So a thing that always bugs me, and I I post on LinkedIn about these kinds of things all the time. I, I mainly use a, a LinkedIn as a place to complain about things, but I I think that's what most of the internet is for, anyways. Um, but but the idea is that you know I, I've seen so many people say you got to work for a CEO that gets marketing. Like if you're going to come in as a CMO or, or, or a VP of marketing, your CEO has to get marketing. But but no one can ever talk about no one ever goes into like, all right, what does that mean to get marketing? Like, is that does does that even exist from your point of view uh, uh, when when you were weighing coming into this into into what you're doing with Xeno Technologies right now? What does it mean for your boss to get marketing? Like, How do you know if it's going to be a good fit? Yeah, I I thought about this. bit. I, I had a I had I had, you know, I was trying to come up with a one liner. Um, because you know I'm a marketing okay. person, so you kind of want taglines, right? You, know, mm-hmm. you think about mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a whole of this podcast. What, what's somebody going to take away? So I was like, well, what's my one liner? Uh, and so my one liner is actually, you know, what you really care about, and in your CEO is that they should be outcomes focused rather than inputs focused. And I thought oh, that's cool. I've got a really good one liner. And and then I sat back and thought about it a bit more. And I went, Matt, that's just trite. You know, <laughs> so, uh, you know it's really easy to say it. Like, what is it? What does it actually mean? And so I think if you take a step deeper into that, I I think personally it comes down to two things. And I think one is personality fit. So there is there is no such thing as a right CEO, CEO uh, and a right kind of CMO VP marketing combo. And the reality is, is that we all have different personalities. Uh, And if you look at psychometric tools like Myers-Briggs, you know, they they will, you know, that tool will tell you very clearly that there are, you know, different types of personalities that you can get along with 
to mm. different degrees. And so, you know, some types of personalities you will just really struggle with. So, you know, my, my coaching note would be, one is, is you need to find that personality fit where you know that you can talk with your CEO, you know that you can have open discussions, you know that you can have active debates on things, you know that you can disagree constructively, but you know that, you know, you can work together. Um, so I think, you know, that's one side of it. The other side of it, I think, though, is is also really important, which is, you know, I, I talked about that kind of triteness about, you know, it needs to be outcomes focused rather than inputs focused. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, let, let's dive into that. Where does that start is, I think when you have very powerful relationships between CEOs and CMOs, is you do start with the business goals and the strategy. So, you know, why is this business here? What are we trying to achieve? Where, where are we trying to get the business? You know, what do those steps look like? Um, you should agree and be clear on, you know, who are we targeting? So, you know, what do our best potential customers look like? If you cannot get that agreement about either, you know, what do they definitely look like or what do they likely look like? If we're super early stage, what's the hypothesis about who are our best customers? Then actually as a marketing person, you are in real trouble because you're going to keep moving around about, you know, this week we're targeting this type of person, this next week we're kind of going to this persona. Oh, then we might go over here and try that. You can never build a great kind of marketing function if you keep having to be that reactive. You know, mm -hmm. the, the other thing that I think is important, and, you know, I, I kind of wrote this point down is there's nothing wrong with having open debate, discussion, argument with your CEO, but you should be arguing over things like, you know, what is the right messaging? What's the right positioning? You know, what are the right channels that we're going through? We should not be arguing over like, hey, you know, what's the right copy in this blog? You know, if we get <laughs> all of those other things right, which is like, you know, we're going after, here's where we're trying to take this business. You know, these are the people that we think are going to be our best fit customers. This is the story that we're trying to tell them. We've, you know, we kicked the tires on this story. We're really trying to say, you know, do we think this is the best story to tell? And then we we're agreeing on these are the channels that we're going to go through. Then actually the rest becomes easy because it's about tweaking it and fine tuning it and testing it not having fundamental arguments over, you know, am I writing the right blog copy? If you get into that situation, you know, things are kind of often going off very left field at that stage. Yeah. And I, and it's funny because I think it would, at least from what I've seen, I think a lot of those disagreements happen when, when CEOs believe they're very good at marketing. So, the, so they're like, Oh, but I'm, I'm good here. No, this, these are the words we should be using. And it's, it's almost like a, like a, a clash at that point um, of like, Hey, I'm brought you in to do the marketing, but it's also something that I, and there's there's an uneasy tension there, and I think it exists for a lot of other roles as well outside of marketing. Yeah, I think it does. I think you know it's it's always good to put yourself in in the other person's shoes. So, you know, when a lot of the CEOs that we work with, they will have founded the company, you know, particularly mm -hmm. when it's kind of very early on. So this this is their baby, yeah, and we should remember that and say, you know, because it's their baby, they care deeply about it. They think they know best how to raise the baby. Um, you know, and they think they know best kind of, you know, how do we make the right decisions around it? So it's hard to let go. Uh, and I think, you know, one of our jobs is, you know, pe for people who lead marketing, it it's also about how do we take these people on the journey? Uh, and you can't just come in and tell them that everything that they're doing is wrong. Actually, what you need to do is to come in and walk them through about, look, you know, th this is, you know, talk to them about this is where we're trying to get to as my, as in terms of how I understand it. Therefore, what do the steps look like, you know, and then talk to them as well about, you know, one of the conversations I'm having with my CEO at the moment is around budget. Uh, and she's very, very clear 
that we do not want to spend lots of money you know, on marketing. And, and the reason for that is because one of the companies that she was at previously is they spent a shed load of money and wasted it. Uh, and so until you've actually got that, you know, if you just started at the first bit, which is like, hey, we're not going to spend lots of money. And then you get into an argument about, well, why are you going to, you know, why this is why we should spend lots of money. We're just going to go head to head. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, if you take the time to say, pause for a minute and say, you know, let me ask you the question, which is, why do you not think we should spend lots of money? And then she opened up and said, well, because I was at this company and I watched them do it and they just did it really badly. And then you can get into conversation was, well, what did they do? Uh, and yeah. oftentimes, you know, you'll find there's a really good answer to that. And then you can take them onto a journey and say, look, if we do this, this and this, how does that feel to you? Uh, and then you can actually often get acceptance to that. So whether or not it's kind of budget or it's kind of copy or it's messaging, you know, by getting into the your CEO's shoes, seeing it from their perspective, going on a journey with them, that can often get you to a much better place. And maybe that's the maybe that's the title of this episode: How to get a shed load of money for your marketing from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if I push that one back to my CEO, that might be an interesting conversation. <laughs> oh, I mean, hey, speaking of Myers Briggs, um, uh, are, are you are you are you introvert or extrovert? We'll, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, oh, I'll, I'll give you a guess on that one. So you know, it's, uh, I think it's fairly obvious where I sit on that on the, in terms of the personality for Myers Briggs. I, I would love to, to know what percent of uh, uh, high level marketers are just uh, uh, fall into the same like two categories of the four. But uh, uh, I, I haven't brushed up on my Myers Briggs in a while, so I forget the names. Uh, I just remember the introvert extrovert. Um, I, I think I think just kind of touching on Myers Briggs super quick. I think actually one of the yeah. interesting things for me is we we talk about marketing as an art and a science. And I think, you know, it's it's very true. You need left brain, right brain to be a great marketer. You need to both kind of have that. You need to have that kind of creativity and that ability to connect with your audience and kind of really kind of be in touch with them. But, you know, you will be nowhere today if you can't also be analytical about what you're doing and prove the value of marketing and show that it's an investment and not a cost. And so, you know, I, I think. You know, there are going to be those marketers like myself that kind of fall into more of the feeling side of the Myers-Briggs, um, you know, uh, personality types. And mm-hmm. then there will be other marketers that fall into more of the thinking side. It, it's the ability to kind of artificially adjust and make sure that you do both. I think that's also really important. Yeah. And I've I've found that I've been able to uh, completely outsource all the right brain stuff. Uh, so I just, <laughs> all the copy, all the artists, it's all taking care of other people. I just look at the No, no. Um, no, I... I want to. I want to. I want to focus on something you you did, which I thought was really interesting when you came to Zeno, that I was not familiar with, and actually was. I'll say is the impetus for 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 having you on the podcast, really. Um, so if you looked at your uh, uh, your LinkedIn profile, I think as of like four months ago or something like that, uh, Matt Stammers worked at Stealth Mode, right? Like ste- like like you were working at a Stealth Mode thing on LinkedIn, um, and I had not uh, seen that before can, can you tell me about that like specifically that and and why you did it like what, what did that mean yeah i think i think there's a fun side to that and there's a, there's a serious side and actually if i think about all marketing it should always have a fun side and a serious side um yeah, right yeah, brain left brain do a really really serious job but you know I, I this is something that linkedin popped up i don't know when they did it but you know whenever you used to have a job at linkedin uh sorry whenever you used to have a job and you would update your linkedin profile you'd have to go on and say which company you would be working at and LinkedIn would go find that company because it would exist on LinkedIn and then it would show the logo. Uh, and then all of a sudden you had this ability to kind of say you're working at Stealth Startup. Um, 
And we used that. Uh, and the way in which we used it is that we had spent 18 months developing the product and we wanted to launch it to the marketplace and we wanted to make noise um, because the industry that we're in, which is the oil and gas industry, um, they had been kind of working in a certain way for a long, a long time. They use an awful lot of legacy technology tools uh, and we are coming in with a very new approach about how can you actually understand all of the different data that's at your fingertips? How can you synthesize that? How can you get much better insights? And how can you make much smarter, much faster decisions using that data to improve the performance of your business? And you know, what we wanted to do was to say to the industries like, hey, we're here. And we wanted to do that in an impactful way. Uh, and so the way that we chose to do it was that when I joined, we actually took down every single kind of public mention of the company and we hid ourselves deliberately so before that we had kind of randomly put bits of sporadic stuff live we deliberately took all of that down and then once we had built out the story that we wanted to tell we launched in almost like an artificial kind of big bang moment and we brought in a pr consultant to do that and we created this artificial kind of moment of news and it, and it worked so successfully uh, that we got coverage not just in the trade magazines like um you know there's literally like oil like oil and gas man and oil and gas woman and uh <laughs> exploration and production kind of plus but we also got coverage in yahoo finance and we got coverage in bloomberg and we created a kind of like a a, a really decent amount of noise in the industry and we got a lot of people to sit up and take notice of us so it was a bet and it was a bet that if we go super quiet uh, and then if we kind of get to this point of launch and if we launch in a big way and we do it all at one time and we tell the journalists all about it at one go, is that mm -hmm. actually we can get some really decent coverage and we can get the industry to set up and take notice. Uh, and it worked uh, and it was really effective and it provided, you know, what was also really important and the core business reason for doing it was it, it gave awareness uh, and support to our salespeople who until then had been going out, having conversations, saying, hey, look, we've got this really cool product, but we can't really show you anything around it. So all of a sudden, there's a website there. There are news articles mm -hmm. around it. We had a new sales deck. We had supporting one pages, you know, all of those sorts of things. And it suddenly made those conversations start to move much more quickly, and they could bring more of those through to a successful close. So can I, so I'm going to ask for a bit of free consulting advice. Should I try that with this podcast? Like just, just <laughs> record think, 20 think, more episodes and, and yeah, take them all the You're already up and, up, and, up and running on this one. You know, I have to say, this isn't my original idea. If you, if you read the Airbnb story, um, there's a really nice kind of paragraph in there. And they talk about the fact that if you launch and if it doesn't succeed, don't be afraid to just go launch again. <laughs> I put that lesson to heart. I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. I'm going to take that one. <laughs> yeah, if at first you don't succeed, just just launch, launch again. I, I, yeah, I love yeah. that. Every, everybody thinks that Airbnb was a runaway success. Actually, they took a good two or three goes to get off the ground, if not more. God, well, they made their own cereal or something, right? Like, I, I, I don't know the whole story, but they were, they, they, I know they changed quite a bit. Um, I, uh, um, I, re I recently got, uh, we're not going to get into it. I got a bad Airbnb review on my pro, so we'll skip that, but I'm, I'm salty right now about that. Um, uh, <laughs> um, no, so, so I, I, moving forward, I, I wanted, you know, I wanted to get your, your thoughts. Um, you've, you've obviously been in the industry for a while and then you, you kind of, like you said, shifted into VC back new upcoming tech companies. You've done it. You've done a couple now. 
I, I think you're the guy to ask what, like, wh- where do you see the future going in the next five years or so? I'm hearing a lot about Web3. I'm hearing a lot about like different things and, and, and how sales and marketing are going to work together. Or the podcast, it's, it's mind the gap. It's the gap between sales and marketing. Where, where do you see a lot of this industry going? Yeah, so we, we talked about this briefly, and I, and I said I was going to come at this from the left field. I think, you know, I can easily, it's it's very easy to talk about, you know, how is the technology changing, um, what's happening around, how are, you know, different teams working together today, and, and actually, you know, where might they be working together in the future? I want to talk about something that I think is, is much more fundamental, which is if you actually look at the way that businesses operated in the 80s and 90s, it was very much about profit maximization. Mm. It was profit before and almost you know, against anything else. Uh, and actually, the the way in which companies operated in their with with their people, in the environment, in the community, in in actually in terms of the broader kind of in you know the global environment that we've got, they you know the, the job was not to care. Uh, and if you look at that today, and I think going forward. Is actually companies are going to increasingly need to operate with a purpose, um, uh, and they, they you know they cannot be profit driven. They need to be purpose driven, and I think you know unless you can align your business to a purpose, and that purpose is to do good, you you are going to struggle to engage with your customers because they are going to actually say, well, why should I care? You know, I, I don't just buy products anymore. You know what what i buy is a way to you know in my world in a way to help my business you know or in the b2c world is a, a way to help me you know as a consumer uh, and generally do that in a way that is beneficial to the environment in which i am you know rather rather than it's, it's detrimental and it, and it doesn't just apply to your customers it also increasingly applies to employees as well if you look at the younger generation coming through generation z as it's called those people come and join companies because they want to do good. They want there to be a purpose. They don't just come in and earn money anymore. So, you know, my, my argument is this. I think going forward, you know, where is where is the industry going? We need to build companies that are purpose-driven. Uh, and from a marketing perspective, to bring it back into our own wheelhouse, uh, actually, you know, what we need to be doing is is helping our companies shape that purpose so that it makes sense to our audience it's relevant to our audience. They can see why it's important and they can see you either, you know, yes, this is something that I believe in and I want to be a part of, or actually, no, it's not for me. Uh, and I think all great marketing should do that. It should either really hit people emotionally and they should believe in it and they should align with it and then say, yes, this is something that I align with and I want to be part of, or they go, it's not for me. You know, we, we shouldn't be into great marketing. And I think helping build organizations with purpose kind of really speaks to that. And it's a really powerful thing. And it's something that we should be looking at really carefully. My first takeaway from that is I'm shocked you said Gen Z and not Gen Z. Um, <laughs> I'm learning. I've been here nearly five years now. So, yeah, I also say process and I might even say garage rather than garage. So. Um, but, but my second, so, but, but more seriously, I, I, I think we saw a lot of that during the summer of 2020 where like, like all of a sudden Goya beans was like a thing, like no one had ever talked, but suddenly this, this product became to stand for a thing that, and and you, you saw almost this purpose-driven bean. But that being said, what you're talking about from almost a corporate standpoint is it's almost emerging in a lot of ways of like marketing and culture, like in a lot of like, like from the HR standpoint, do you, do you see marketing driving a, a lot of that? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting observation. And, you know, it's definitely something that I believe in. If you look at the job I'm doing today, at Zeno, I, I run marketing, you know, I've run marketing functions for 20 you know plus years. But I also look after people. Uh, and, you know, when when I first say that, people kind of look at me strangely and say, why on earth does that make sense? But the way I think about it is it's about trying to attract and retain customers externally. You know, and then internally, it's about trying to attract, retain and provide a great motivating environment for employees as well. You know, and that really does align around, you know, what is the purpose of the organization? Um, mm -hmm. And you can, you know, for those of you who are kind of maybe thinking about it, thinking, well, Matt's in the oil and gas industry. It's not the best industry to be in in terms of purpose. I think, yes, you know, that's absolutely one lens. Um, but, you know, the reason that we're building Xeno and, and the journey that we're on is, you know, we need reliable and, and decently priced energy today. You know, we also need to transition to a better place where we're encompassing renewables and we've got reliable and sustainable and reasonably priced energy tomorrow as well. And so, you know, our ultimate purpose is rather than replace the industry that we've got today in terms of oil and gas, it's to help them go on that journey to get to a better place. Now, mm -hmm. you know, when we go talk to customers about that, there are customers that that's really going to make sense for that they'll really believe in it and they'll just go, look, I'm with you and we want to be on that journey together. You know, and likewise, when we go and talk to potential employees, some will go, yeah, I get that and I believe in it and actually I want to come join. Uh, and others will go, no, you're still in oil and gas. Uh, and we'll mm -hmm. go, that's okay, you know, because this is yeah. this is who we are and this is what we believe in and this is what we stand for. You know, and then you're either part of that or you're not. But for the, the, pe the people who believe in it, that means that they love what we do and not just like what we do. And therefore, that, com that connection is so much stronger. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you are powering the oil and gas industry with love? No, I'm, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm not, I don't think I've ever thought about it in that perspective before, but if I talk about it, which is, you know, um, do I want to get our customers to love us? Then yeah, absolutely. I'll be realize if I don't see that in your website within the next two weeks, I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, as you know, tech.com slash about we are power. No. Um, <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> yeah. But more seriously, I think that we've seen an expansion of what we call marketing over the past five 10 years, right? Product marketing is essentially customer marketing, like, right? And these were functions, people did these things, but now they're, they're coming under marketing. Uh, I'm going to ask a, a bold prediction. Yes, no. Within five years, will we see an employee marketing function at a company? Yes, is the one word answer. Uh, and then the second one is, I, th I think we've already got it. Yeah. I think if you think about, you know, what is the definition of marketing? You know, it, it's really about... How do you understand who your audience is? How do you attract them? And how do you provide an offer with them that is really important to their needs? You know, actually, we need to think about employees in the same way, which is we need to do, as businesses, we need to give people jobs, which are not just exciting and rewarding, but help them develop as people uh, and help them move forward. And that when they, you know, when, when they choose to leave or when we just part ways, actually, you know, they can look back on their time with us where we would, you know, they will see that have has been really valuable to them. It would have helped them build as people. If we can do that, then I think we're in a really strong place. That I don't I don't see the podcast getting any better than that right now. So, <laughs> do you is there anything you'd like to plug or tell the people about um, uh, uh, before before we wrap up here? Oh, that was a question I wasn't expecting. Uh, so no, nothing. I, I know you've asked this to other people. Nothing to plug. I, I think. Um, 
the thing I would go back to is, you know, as, as marketers, our job is not to deliver leads. You know, delivering leads, pipeline and revenue comes as an outcome of actually our, our job is to help build impactful businesses. And if we do that and do that well, you know, then I think we're doing a really good thing in the world. Oh, I like it. Somehow the podcast did get better. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, uh, it's been great talking to you. We, we covered so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Stammers. Thanks very much, Nick. I really enjoyed being here. This has been Mind the Gap, a podcast about sales and marketing alignment put on by Enablex. My name is Nick Zeke Lopez. Thanks for listening.